This is SideQuest Completed, the Hoppiest Game Dead podcast with your hosts Calvin and JC, coming to you every Wednesday with encouragement and advice on making your game a reality. Okay, um, so we get on with the episode. So today we're talking about why we make games here on SideQuest Completed. Yeah, this is something I have been thinking about for well, that I think about often, both just because I'm always questioning myself, uh, because I'm interested in you know, other people's um, motivations, and I'm interested in it in particular, uh, the, the inspiration for, you know, not for a particular game, but for the act of making games. Um, people come from it for a lot of different directions, and my own answer has definitely changed. I think I'm going to have three separate answers, um, more or less. Yeah, certainly. Nobody says you have to have only one reason for making games. Indeed, the more reasons you have, I imagine the better the chance of success. Well, that's another... Actually, whenever I said three different answers, what I was thinking of is the three different answers over my lifetime. Ah. Not at the same times. Um, so I guess it's you know different ways that you're you're going to have multiple answers too, so it's even more, even more complicated there. Yeah. Um, do you have your own do you, for yourself do you have more than one answer that you would give as well oh definitely both serial and concurrent okay let's let's go back and forth then as um i i, I can give my earliest I, I want to start with my earliest memories of wanting to make games mm. which i think of the the simplest was just it was interesting and cool i yeah. was a little kid um i had a VTEC laptop with a basic interpreter and i could make my own little like um my own little word and number games on that. Uh, very limited. Uh, I play games all the time. Uh, my dad had taken a basic course in high school. And so he told me like, he taught me just verbally the basic concepts of programming Aww. because of my interest in, in computers and in games, even before I had access to do anything with that. And then I would pick apart games that I was playing, just trying to wonder how the heck these things worked. Um, I have a couple of distinct memories of this, I remember opening up EXEs in Notepad. Ooh. Just kind of thinking, oh, this is programming. All these weird <laughs> symbols I see. I thought that was a programming language. And I thought, oh, I have to learn which symbols, you know, puts a picture up on. Uh, I thought that's how it worked. It would have been uh, hilarious if you could accidentally learn assembly that way. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that, that, would be, that would be a little uh, bit of a challenge. Imagine um, going into your first CS course, computer science course, being like, what is this C++ plus plus you speak of? I just use assembly. And start typing away right there in front of the class. It's like, here's Tetris. You know, it would, it would almost be possible because you can type any individual bytecode in Windows with the Alt-R um, shortcut. So it would be possible. Yeah, kids, don't um, do this at home. No. And then I also, I, I had a a basic idea of animation because I had watched Ooh. like a lot of documentaries as a kid on animation. My dad uh, and I made uh, flip books and other um, animation art together uh, a lot. And so I kind of tried to translate that to the animations I saw on a game. But the only way I can conceptualize that was that every possible screen that could ever be on the game was pre put in it. And it would just, you know, if you hit left, it'll switch to a picture of Mario standing slightly more to the left. Whoa. Repeat forever. I, I did not understand, you know, like the, the, the 
composition of all the sprites backgrounds and you know text generation and putting that all together so i just thought of it as a giant flip book slash uh, like a choose your own adventure flip book yeah i think a good lesson there is what other blind spots what other false assumptions are we making about game dev because just because we've gotten older doesn't mean we're actually understanding what's going on in a game dev yeah, that would be interesting to explore. So back then, I wanted to make games because I just wanted to know how they worked. You know, I didn't have any particular ideas for them. I like to make games like on paper and stuff, and it's just an extension of that and a curiosity of the technology or of computers in general. I don't think I had a concept of, like, I wanted to learn how to program, but to me, it was just learn to make games because I didn't think of programming as anything else. You know, that was my my mode of interaction with the with the computers and the, the game consoles. So I just thought ma- making computers do things is making games, and I wanted to, to know how to make them do things. Yeah, that's a classic inspiration. It's a very similar one for me. I remember my dad was an independent software contractor back in the day, and he used uh, Omnis 7 back in the Macintosh, uh, Macintoshes we had back then, uh, making database software and whatnot. And I just figured out trial and error a little bit of reading how to actually make games in an entirely unsuited engine and that was quite the experience made a little adventure game where you died by getting set in the space made a mech warrior mech building tool of all things because giant robots were a fascination of mine even as a tyke um we were in the mech classic playing around with hypercard Love that. Such an accessible tool for making software. And some other adventure game software. I forget the name of it. It had vertical art, black and white. There was one we went through a castle. The very I wish I could have to look that up sometime. Maybe had like a retro game episode, but yeah, just having those simple accessible tools made a huge difference. If I had been thrown into Unity at age ten, age twelve, I imagine I would be overwhelmed in a way that the simpler games at the time were right. well, not. Well, not not just because of the age and the, the lack of programming experience but also just our vocabulary for technology and computers as a as a whole like society-wise was, was less than so simpler yeah. tools were required because we you know there's much more cognitive overload to just sit and use a computer exactly um, yeah yeah, it's, it's amazing what you know, a lot of people really early on uh, learning to build things will do when you don't know the extent of tools or the other things available. You talk about using a database tool to make games, and there are countless examples of people who wanted to, to make something and use whatever is in front of them because they don't, they don't know what, it is, what else is there to make things with. Uh, they don't know what to seek out or even think to seek something out in many cases it's just yeah. here's a thing i will use it to make more thing uh and they do it yeah um i sometimes am frustrated by my own like all the tangents that happen from oh here's a better way i can i can make a game or a better programming language i can learn and i go and, you know this you, know, you burn so many cycles or so many years on running down roads that if you didn't know about you would just make something instead yeah, it's like a whole bunch of time spent in the garage retuning, rebuilding your vehicle without ever hitting the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, imagine where my but, game, their experience would be if people had told me, no, you can't make a game with database software. Yeah. I, 
I think I went down those tangents over and over and over again. It's one of the most frustrating things in my programming slash game dev past. And it's extremely common, too, but I feel like I was hit by it especially hard. But I also enjoy that exploration. Yeah. And I try to balance like the frustration of, I wish I had not gone down so many tangents, but I also appreciate where many of them took me. And it's hard to balance those, but that's another whole other thing. And I, I probably brought that up before because it's a constant frustration. Yeah, it sounds like even then, one of your core reasons for sticking with game dev is the thrill of engine building, of disc- tool discovery, and just figuring out what you can make your system capable of doing. Yeah. I think that was one other distinct memory I had of making or wanting to make games was the movie Big. He plays, uh, he plays a that game one. in that. At the beginning of the movie, he plays this, this game. It's some sort of RPG on his computer with... Um, oh, right, with, right. With, with, with like, you know, just the... I can't remember what we call it. A pre-point-and-click adventure, you know, type yeah. entering in uh, text commands. And that, to me... It read like a choose your own adventure story, and I, you know, had a, an image up, several words you could pick from, and then that something happens. Um, so I was always interested in like, what is the thing to make that? I didn't really think of. It took me a long time uh, when I was younger to realize that programming was a thing where there's sp- specific software you need to do it. I just thought it was a a thing you do on a computer, yeah. which is you know I expected there to be something a thing you could already use out of the box on any computer to make more software. Cause I just didn't think of it as a, a tool in and of itself. Yeah. Which and in case of like basic, find. that was the case. Yeah. 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 Which I, which I eventually found that was my first stuff. Basic uh, Q basic and Apple two basic. Oh, extra retro. Well, Apple II was in the, um, I think that seventh grade, we had Apple IIs in all of the homerooms. And so during study hall at the beginning of the day, I would sit on the classes Apple II and program classic school kid games. Like, um, you remember Nim with the, the lines that you cross out? Um, mm. I remember making, it's, it's where you cross out one, two, or three lines and whoever crossed out the last line. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I made that and I made uh, a Towers of Hanoi game. Um, programming those on the the Apple II Basic, uh, based around a not Apple II Basic Basic book I found in the library. So I just try to translate that. But the the absurd and amazing part of this memory is I would do this with a crowd Whoa. because the rest of the class was fascinated that I could make these games. So performative um, programming. Yeah, they would stand behind me in a semicircle and watch me program this crappy little uh hanoi game on was, apple II. so basically a seventh grade grade school demo scene yeah it was and that was pretty <laughs> um that was pretty cool i i i always very fondly and vividly remember like you know that was like definitely the first time where a computer skill was not just intrinsic i guess as far yeah. as the value yeah, I'm actually almost a little bit jealous because I was homeschooled for most of my was it pre college education, and there really wasn't like kind of audience. So I have like mom, dad, little brother. Everyone is now. Yeah. Yep. Like welcome to my world. Pretty much. Yeah, but uh, interesting contrast for me. I didn't have that performative component 
to game dev growing up, so much more of it was, I guess, internally driven. Just self-motivation, whatnot, less more intrinsic, less extrinsic. I think some of that drove me towards, uh, I guess, the content direction. Wanting mm-hmm. to have my own games. Since so much of my experience with that was downloading other people's games, especially early internet, and seeing they accomplished something, they wanting to have done that myself. Yeah, I I had a long those a uh, I had a long time of having computers but not having internet access or not having it regularly when I was younger. Yeah. So even when I had some programming ability or not or, or knowing where to look at it, I had no avenue for seeking out more information. Mm. Um, that that was a difficult combination of knowing I could do more but not having the ability to get it or oh to, yeah learn more about it like there was one point where a cousin of mine who was in college gave me a copy of borland c plus plus whoa um which at least in my time i understand was oh this is the better version of basic you know this is the more a more real programming language um i can make better games faster games you know whatever but i had no ability to get information about it so Ah. i i had it and then that felt like i have to move to that um, but I didn't have the ability to make use of it. Yeah, so I guess I was lucky that uh, way. Uh, yeah, I had I, the. I did some things in it, but uh, it was worse than the stuff I could make in Basic because I had no support around it. Oh, the irony. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a little yeah. bit of the. It's like a little lesson there is sometimes it's better to work with the tool you have and know than to try and up, quote unquote upgrade to a better tool for its own sake. I mean, there are all kinds of uh, twine games out there that if the writer had tried to make it in Unity or in Real, yeah. never would have happened. It would be much less impactful. Yeah. yeah well, that 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 feeling kind of um, that describes my game dev history over and over and over again. <laughs> um, it's pretty much just everything for me. Yeah. Um. So those are both of our backgrounds for, you know, those initial explorations into making games as kids. Um, but eventually we stopped being kids. Um, and I think we probably both hold on to wanting to make games for game's sake. I know I definitely do, but it's not the reason I make games, or at least not was not always. It definitely moved on to um, once I got a bit older, especially once I was you know, 18, um, I didn't have a great job getting out of high school um, and programming was definitely something where I thought, I don't know, thought I could find a way to make some more money at it. But it was also before like um, remote programming work was really accessible. um, Not something I thought, like I didn't think of freelancing or programming as a, you know, for other people being an avenue. It didn't even like occur to me for a long time. Oh yeah. But I, I had a lot of game ideas that I, I worked on when I was younger that was this idea of if I can get something built, I can do something with it and I can sell it and I, I can do this for a living if I can get there. Yeah. Um, People were doing it even back so, then. Yeah. And that's where the Atari came from. All those games, independent folks making stuff on their own time and finding just enough capital to sell just enough copies to make the next one. Yeah, and and again, I wish that I didn't find other tools sometimes, but they also yeah. took me 
where I where I did where I ended up going, um, because it was seeking more better tools to make my main project back then that led me to Python and Twisted and to freelancing on um, networking tools at the time, which was just the, the kind of work I found. Um, and I ended up doing um, some of my earliest gigs were actually for like um, Neopet competitors. Whoa. Um, so I was still trying to work within the game area, but then that just kind of, you know, like web development took over. That was the thing I did, but I still, all the time I had my freelancing business, my plan that never materialized was to use that to support myself and my family, make my games on the side as, as, as many indie developers had, had done. Uh, all about, this was like pre steam, pre a lot of other successes that, that happened back then. So it yeah. was not, it was not something where like, yeah, you can definitely do this. It was before it was like maybe not easy, but before there was like a kind of a, a little window of it's easy ish. There's a lot more um, logistical tools. challenge to that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, the monetary aspect was like, was a huge motivator for a long time. And I'm not ashamed to say I wanted it for, for the money. I mean, I, I wanted to do something I liked to do and make money on it. You know, it's not yeah. a, it's not a bad combination. Yeah. The thing about money is that it's what lets you keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like it's one thing to want to be a millionaire for making your games. Another thing to want to make a living on it so you can keep doing it and support the people you love by having an income. It's a very laudable goal. Yeah, and you know, maybe it could have gone that way. Um, but the thing that ended up happening was basically between the flood on Steam, the indie apocalypse that's constantly happening over the mm. last few years. Um, the Several years of, now, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's been going for a while. There are definitely people who can still make it, but it's definitely not something where you can say, if you make a good enough project, if you get it out there, you, you can support yourself. It's not just you can get a hit. It's not even a guarantee that a good product will be seen at all. It's just there's so many coin flips involved that you hope yeah. will come up heads. Um, and even if you can make money... Uh, I, I, I did what was I, what I was considering my for myself until I make it jobs. I did for long enough that now I can't basically I can't make the same amount of money um, making games not not with any kind of certainty while raising a family. So yeah, um, the ability of it to be a step up kind of was uh, squandered. Yeah, a little bit squandered, a little bit just other things were not squandered. So yeah, a lot of people out there who spend a whole bunch of time making, trying to make a living in games and probably regret not having more time for friends, family, uh, kids, whatnot. So important, I guess, reflection there. Like if, even if you don't make games your full-time thing, there's still plenty of fulfillment to be found outside of that. Yeah, it's just that I, I do often wonder... Yeah, people can't help wonder like the what is. So I often think about, you know, before I found good full time jobs that I really have enjoyed over the last decade or so. Whenever it was, you know, just freelancing, so I had more flexibility and freedom to to move around. If at that time when there were some better certainty opportunities for people who who did have some, who could put something together, there are opportunities I could have tapped that I didn't. I avoided all the flash games and being able to try to tap them because I looked at them as kind of cheap and I missed out on like a huge wave there that I, I could have 
taken advantage of. I had all the skills and the means and the, the know-how, and I just ignored it. Um, and then, you know, the times when I could have put other projects together, I dragged my feet until it wasn't viable anymore. Yeah. It's going to be very hard to catch any given wave, regardless of the tech or the the field or whatnot. I follow writing podcasts, and one group I do, I think it's Story Shop Studio. They talk about their decade of experience being indie authors and how much they've seen things change over that time period, even before that. Yeah. So I guess I want to get back to why we're doing this stuff. The whole important distinction between intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. In my case, I was lucky enough to get early into web dev, even way back when part of the reason I got into JavaScript was because it was an accessible tool where I could see results and start making games instead of watching code fail to compile. And that ended up being my career path, despite very different education path. And I guess part of what kept me going through art school and then theater and film studies for animation was that desire to make games with that disparate skill set, realizing how holistic of a project I was taking on there. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I'm glad that you have that. Well, I think we both have some, despite being tech people, we also have art backgrounds of one type or another. But we still are both approaching from technology primarily, I think. Yeah. Um, and the question of why do you make games being answered by both of us misses out on the answers that a lot of people would give who are not programmers but make games, even if they are programming them. You know, the people who be, you know, they are artists or just had both the idea and the actual drive to follow through that so many people don't. Um, and figured out how to put the game together without ever caring or wanting to program, except for that was what got the job done. Yeah. Um, I think I really want to talk to people like that sometime because um, this is a totally different angle. You know, I, I did always want to make games and love the games themselves, but I also had an intrinsic interest in the technology. Oh, yeah. So, you know, that always is, is impossible to separate from me, and I'm really interested in the the stories and the motivations of people who just kind of put up with having to program and sometimes can do really good at it better than some people who love programming, but just that's not why they're doing it. Right. Or it's not a part of why and yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to fill that gap in my knowledge of the approaches people take. Yeah. And on the flip side too, we wouldn't have things like twine or unity, Godot, other game systems, whole hardware platforms without people being interested in getting the tech side right and usable. So definitely places for both. Yeah. I'd say for my case, I think one of the drivers for sticking with Anthrotari for so long, despite starting as just a game jam experiment, was the personal resonance. It's a game about being queer online, being online in the 90s and growing up on the internet, basically, about being a furry, all that, and the intersections therein, sort of reconnecting to a youth that were a lot of those things I mentioned 
weren't really expressed, wasn't fully in touch with, and even though they were there on the surface. And it's been something I wanted to, well, personally get more in touch with, see reimagined, and share with others, especially those who are either wish they had more of that growing up, want the nostalgia to revisit, or are just getting to that themselves younger age and would like some example of what it could be like. So it's been that sort of pro-social thing at the heart of Anthrotara this entire time. Because I mean, I stick with this project for several years now, uh, longer than any job I've ever had. So that little like, intrinsic drive to want to see that out there has been a big part of that. I'm kind of jealous of that. <laughs> I, I definitely, I mean, I love a lot of the projects I've worked on and ones that I am still working on today. But there's none of them that I can say are like this this personal or, you know, emotional connection I have, I guess. Um, I really love the ideas and I, I, I may be passionate about building them, but I don't have that same kind of emotional connection or, mm. or personal tie-in to any of my projects. And I can't think of anything I would make right now that would. Um, I just, not that there's nothing to me or that my life has been boring, but nothing that I see a translation to a a particular game or the kinds of games that I'm interested in making or, or anything like that. So I, I don't know if that would change my ability to, to follow through or not. Um, or if maybe I finish a few things and, and, and kind of build up my, um, my habits better, maybe some idea that what I'd have a better connection to will come out of making it a little easier to get things out. But I don't have anything like that. And I, yeah. I kind of am jealous of the people who do just because as <laughs> a medium that I love so much, I would love to have a thing I can make that is about me or is connected to me somehow, I guess. Or at least I, I like the idea. I don't like need to do it. I don't like I'm not like trying to figure out like I'm not going to try, try to construct a personal project just for the sake of it. But I really see the appeal of it. And, it, you know, I I recognize it as something that I, I have and probably will continue to miss out on just because it's, it's just something that fits. Yeah. But yeah, I remember doing something purely personal for the sake of doing it is entirely legitimate. I thinking, I guess in your case, maybe very much an internal search and a more introspective search to find what you want. So it might involve more meditation, more reading, a self a reflection on history, maybe going back to friends and family to see what they th- remember you for and what excited you back when and reconnecting with that kind of stuff. And I do have a book recommendation too that I've just started rereading myself. Uh, Stephen Pressfield's Do the Work. Yeah, if you can get a hard copy of that, that's also good. It takes a lot of advantage to typography. And it's clearly a very personal work itself. So on top of it being a book about well, doing the work and overcoming capital R resistance to do the work. It's intrinsically interesting that way. It feels very much like a passion project. It's also, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of vulnerability in those personal projects. That, yeah. Um, I, I wonder how many people either have a project that they definitely would or could make or, or feel like they they could definitely follow through with, but don't because of the personal nature, mm-hmm. you know, for, for every person that makes a game that speaks to some personal um, uh, uh, past of theirs, 
how many people are there who you know don't want to make something public uh, um, exploring that um, or I wonder how many people might be making like there's a lot of people who uh, write short stories for themselves oh, yeah. and never publish anything or you know paint in their free time and it just all sits in their garage forever because it's just a thing for them yep are there people out there making personal game projects um, either just for fun or for tapping personal um, connections and they just sit on their hard drive they build them they play them and like we would have no idea if these people were out there yeah and, I agree. And doing that as a totally inward thing yeah we were just both talking about our own examples me and my mech building game which i didn't have really much anyone around to show it off to mm-hmm. um my girlfriend tells stories about how she would she got in the game dev by editing and creating games for her siblings to play and keep them busy and those are individual to the family it's an article recently. Nice. I'll have to look it That's up. Very cool. Yeah, it's an article I found about somebody who made a video chat app for his family, and it's got all of like eight users, and that means it met its goal. Those eight more users than he was hoping it would have, and as many as it needs, and that was means it's done. It doesn't have to be the next Zoom because it's not. Doesn't want to be the next Zoom. And wait, does the eight family members being eight more users than he? wanted to have I mean he didn't want his family to join it with him he just wanted to oh. stay there by himself <laughs> that'd be a very useless video app you know what i mean yeah but yeah. i know for me anthrotari wouldn't have happened if i hadn't gotten more in touch with my crewiness and before that uh, in touch with fairiness and before that in touch with my being internet generation and a similar thing is like I'm discovering. I'm still discovering stuff about my own identity and past and whatnot on making Atari even this late into the game. I remember just our very last episode interview with uh, Victoria Rose. We get kind of deep into some of her family history because that was so core to Secret Little Haven. Yeah, I was. It was really interesting to listen to you two talk about the shared aspects of your projects because they both had such similar threads of um, both, both in the, the, the theming and the, and the material. Um, so it's really interesting to have that back and forth from my perspective of, you know, listening to, to you two um, bounce that back and forth. Oh yeah. Hmm. It's a little reflective just thinking about it. I guess that's probably a really good sign. Good. Not mm-hmm. requirement, but a good signal of a personally with uh, powerful game when it's going to really resonate with you and has taking power is how much you reflect on the game personally. Not just how much it dominates your shower thoughts, but how much you just find yourself thinking about it in terms of reflecting upon it. Yeah. Definitely not a requirement, but definitely something to, if you catch yourself ruminating about the game, which you're going to have happen in it, that might be the kind of thing to lean into and really develop in your game. So I did want to, I want to talk about what is my third, my third reason or like my third answer for why I want to make games, which is the one that mostly drives me now. (laughs) And I feel like this will come across as sarcastic or, a not good reason, but I'm going to fully embrace it. And I have for a while go for it. I'm stubborn. (laughs) I have wanted to, you know, make and put out games and for people to play them 
whether they're buying them or download. I love the validation of people buying them. Yeah. It's just, I want somebody to play the games I make. I, I want to not have, I mean, this is some cost fallacy in a lot of ways, but I, I don't care. I have spent all this time and chased down all these avenues of making and, and putting out games. I have so many that I haven't finished right now. My, my project this month was, you know, going back as you know, and remaking a game I hadn't finished. And that has been fantastic. It's a tiny little match three game. But I'm finishing something I didn't finish before. It's not just that I'm finishing a game; it's that I'm fixing that past mistake. Nice. And that is now the main drive of keeping it up. It's why I want this podcast to motivate me. Yeah. It's why I want to find new ways of just getting the projects done, like moving from Unity back to Python, a language that I know better, uh, that I have less overhead of of tooling. You know, where I can just make because I just I don't want to be a failure in it. I don't want to which people might say, oh, no, no, you're not. Oh, I, fail. I have failed to make the games that I want to make. You know, yeah. that is objective. Can't ignore and that. You have failed. And in I that. don't yeah. want I don't want that. I still I want to have finished them. And second to that, I would want to finish them now. Eventually, you know, like and that's stubbornness a lot of ways. Exactly. Um, I don't care. I just, I want to make them. I want to have them out. I want to look back and have made them. And maybe after that, you know, maybe if I get a few of the ones that I really need to, to finish out, maybe new ones will come along. I've been working on the same game with no new ideas for a few years now. Um, because I've, I've built up enough projects I have going that I don't need to have a new idea and jump on. I can just keep bouncing around the ideas I haven't finished, you know, uh, and too real. make them or or try to, to work on. So I don't want to start anything new. I want to finish ones I've already had some amount of work on. And I just, I don't want to be able to say, Oh yeah, I got a lot of games. I haven't finished. I, I don't, I don't want to be yet another developer. Like there's so, so many programmers that have the same story that dabbled or really tried hard at making games and, and didn't finish it. But it is always important to me and I want it to amount to something. Yeah. It's a kind of dogged determination is that what sees you through external and internal challenges that otherwise stop you. I mean, the only reason I've been able to make this much progress in Anthotari, despite having long gaps, was that insistence that I actually see this thing through. I mean, one of my biggest, again, just like you, one of my biggest drivers to game dev, my own number three is finishing this fucking thing excuse my language but it's like yeah i've been so struggled so long with bouncing between various small projects struggling was probably undiagnosed about adhd and various other things i am basically tired sick and tired of not finishing game projects and that's one reason why i stick with anthropology for all this time why i committed to doing at least a little bit every bleeping day and that's what's probably going to see me through to actually getting completed. And once I've built up that momentum, built up that toolkit, mental and physical, digital toolkit, that whole lived experience of seeing a not small game from very first idea through to publication, then I'll be ready for the next one. Yeah, one, one thing I have realized is I have enough games. There's like, of all the games I started, 
Yeah. So I started that sentence a few times trying to figure out the right way to get into it. Of all the ones that I have partially worked on, or like, you know, those ones in my toolbox of games that some work has been done, not just an idea. I don't know if I can finish all of them or want to finish all mm-hmm. of them. You know, those ones that just won't pan out. Yep. But if I were to cut that down to the core set of the games I am definitely going to finish, the one, the two things I don't know is how much time do I need to actually finish them all? Because there's a lot. Yeah. It's possible that I have enough projects to last the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, depending on how much, how, how large I let some of them get. Um, it's also possible that I'll be able to wrap them all up in like five years. But then I don't, I don't know what will be next. I don't know if I push myself through these projects and to finish them, will I be done or will I come up with new things that I want to move on to? You know, maybe after I, maybe after that, if I can get these out and say that I, I finished this stuff and um, that it was not a total letdown, maybe I'll get on and finish the novels I haven't finished either. Yeah, like it's mood. Like, I was just thinking about the. NaNoWriMo entries I have again driven out of a burning curiosity and relentless creativity just from re- frankly reading and watching too much I got see, I got the same characters in my head that just nagging me finish up you're not done with me yet I must yeah. live me and Heather were just talking last night about um, revisiting last year's nano projects and Ooh. um get it back to writing them yeah uh, we both have some things that we started that we uh, want to get back to and again it's some some of it is wanting to do it and wanting to tell the stories and a lot of it is stubbornness you know there's yeah. a lot of i guess i, I want I, I hate to i don't want to sound like i'm ranting and complaining <laughs> or or anything like that but the fact is i, I failed at a lot of these things that i really wanted to do that i really enjoy doing and really cared about finishing and that feeling sucks. Yeah. I don't want to, you know, I'm going to own that. It sucks. And I'm going to talk about that publicly because other people go through it and it sucks. And people don't like to talk about what they fail to do. Nope. Everybody talks about, everybody talks and shows what they finished and what has been a success. And then everybody else sees that and thinks that they're the ones aren't, that aren't finishing things. And it drives us all crazy. Oh yeah. And I, I know that, the real ratio is the opposite of what you see. Yeah. You know, it's like, are, it's like uh, was it Wayne Gretzky said, I miss 100% of the shots I don't take. Something like that. Uh, Michael Jordan, like, well, I think it was Michael Jordan, another basketball player, talking about the only reason he makes so many shots, so many uh, baskets, is because he's missing all the other ones he missed because he made so many attempts at the basket. Similarly, for all the successful games we see, we don't see all the field prototypes, all the ones that never made it off the drawing board. Uh, we forget about the failure, the big flops, commercial flops, because they didn't succeed. And it's, that's our takeaway from that is just dogged determination and, well, of course, balanced with health, wellness, relationship needs, whatnot, um, sticking with these ideas to fruition is essential for that any kind of satisfaction. There's a, there's similar trends of, of uh, the way people finish or don't finish uh, projects in like um, 
more general programming areas. Yeah. Whether that's open source libraries or, or projects um, or just or, or tools, whatever it is that people were building, whether because they wanted to scratch a particular itch or because they had an idea that didn't pan out or they got distracted by something else. And in that area, one thing I've I've wanted to, to do for a while now is to um, do a writing series of Ooh. basically all the things I didn't finish that I still really enjoyed working on. Yeah. Because the other part of this is while I am very stubborn and want to finish a lot of these, these projects, I also have to balance that with the recognition that I really have enjoyed a lot of the work that didn't get finished. Yeah. It's not totally um, lost. It's still, you know, it's valid to like working on it for its own sake um you can sit down and doodle um and sketch without finishing a full piece and so just like the sketching and the same thing is true for making things um, exactly i want to get better at finishing them but i don't want to i don't want to paint everything that is incomplete as a failure because incompleteness is not automatically a failure yeah and it's- Part of that problem of people not talk, not only hearing the the finished, successful, complete things, whether that's books, paintings, video games, software tools that people make. Uh, one solution to that is for people to talk openly and and celebrate the unfinished things. Yeah, I know that it's so easy to was it never compare your raw footage to someone else's highlight reel. And in the case right. of like video game trailers, we're often literally comparing our raw projects to what is just a highlight reel from the finished game, and we're not seeing all the blood and sweat and failures that preceded it. But you make a really good point. Like, especially for hobby indie devs, the satisfaction of going through the project and learning something from it, or the catharsis of getting as far as you did, can often be reward enough after all one reason we get into creative endeavors is because our sense of taste um like it's been so developed that we hunger for something better either from ourselves or better than what we've seen out there elsewhere i forget who said it but what was the phrase like a creative drive like our sense of taste is often much more developed than our ability to execute it. So it's very easy to get caught up in how our creative output doesn't measure up to our expectations without realizing that how high our own expectations for ourselves are. And that for someone who isn't a developer, seeing anything mildly interactive is mind-blowing. Think about our own, to revisit childhood stories, how blown away we were by simplest the games because that was so much more than we could do at the time. Yeah. Mm. Plenty to reflect on there. Yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of what we're talking about applies to so many, not just today. Um, yeah. You know, this has become um, as much as a podcast about game development as a hobby while holding a full-time job. It's also a podcast about creativity in general because so much of the mindsets um, and approaches to game dev is the same as any other creative endeavor. And there are things that people in all those different disciplines have learned and 
and, and try, you know, like painters and writers know what's similar between those skill sets. And um, not all people programming or whether that's games or otherwise have really absorbed that it is a creative endeavor that they can learn from the lessons that other creative endeavors have already learned for, for decades yeah. or centuries. Millennia. Yeah. Yeah. I think as, as one takeaway from this episode, among many takeaways, uh, game devs try reading more biographies of non-game devs. Read biographies of artists, of writers, trying to figure out what made them tick, what people were doing to fulfill creative, um, their strong creative drive before computers. I'm sure you'll find some interesting inspiration, ideas, guidance, cautions in that space. Yeah, and, and different things work for everybody. And, you know, it's important to find um, what's worked for other creators um, that may match up with your style and, and your life and to recognize when they don't and, that you know, to appreciate what worked for others that, that won't work for you. Uh, and, and find the people who find find and explore and experiment with all those different um, all those different creative lifestyles and, and find something that that works. Yeah, like you might find out you're more of a Virginia Wolf than a Jonathan Blow, for example, and you can lean into that. Um, so we are um, about to hit an hour, um, so yeah. I think we should um, wrap up with our you know what have we been doing and what do we want to um, do for the next week. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will ask you that what have you been working on uh, you know, what kind of work have you done since we last talked for me it's been a steady 15 minutes of adding animations and emotes to under animated routes or non-animated routes parts in Anthrotari I'm probably going to bump up my aspiration 20, 25 minutes now that I'm back in the groove just back in shape for that relatively speaking that's been good and solid it's been relaxing work now that I'm back into the groove and look forward to just seeing that all the way through the end and then probably put the game out again for more beta readers see what kind of editing and additions it needs how about you Calvin um so I I spent the last week mostly on optimizations and some bug fixes um there were like and there's still a few uh timing or presentation related um bugs and some like the um some of the transitions that happen and the when the matches and attacks are made in seed magic um but i expected to be struggling to finish up all the features i wanted uh, by the end of the month instead i've got time for this bug fixing and polish there's a few particle effects i might clean up uh over the next couple of days as well as getting up um hio page um testing on a couple computers around the house just to make sure i'm testing on more than one thing mm-hmm. um so I'll be using my Python feet tool for packaging up uh, the Windows version, as well as releasing a, um, a Linux version by by source. So I'll be doing a little bit of testing in this this final tweaking and polish, but it has it's coming together to put out and be done with before the end of the month, rather than cutting stuff off, which is ridiculous. I didn't expect yeah. that. So. Um, I'll also be spending my next week being really happy about that um, and maybe getting into prep for maze project, which I can talk about next week. Uh, I already know what it is. It's another remake slash finish project. It'll Ooh. also be in Python on pursuit by bear. Nice. Um, it's one because the remake thing, the one that I already have um, 
a good set of assets for it already, so I can jump right into. Um, and part of that will also be extracting some of the pieces I have in this project, either as my own libraries to put up on PyPy or to contribute back to uh, Pursuit Pi Bear, depending on whether or not they're appropriate for that or not. Nice. Yeah. I guess we want to move on to what we've been reading, watching, etc. Uh, there's one book I just reread. It's a wonderfully small one, so you might read it in two hours. Uh, Derek Sivers, Anything You Want, that is um, basically the story of CD Baby, the company he grew out of very small beginnings into the preeminent music distribution company of the time and sold for gobs of money. And his whole story behind that, why he chose to sell, uh, sell it to get out of the business, um, his all the different kind of motivations behind it. And it, this is unintentional, but it resonates very strongly with today's episode in terms of motivation, drive, tenacity, mm-hmm. reasons for doing things. And I consider Sivir as a very important inspiration. Um, done this professionally, but personally. And a really good, it seems like what I know of him at least, a very good role model, especially for indie hobby folks who are driven more by passion than by making this next quarter's sales at GameStop. And I would recommend uh, anything you want to really anyone, but especially listeners of this podcast. Similarly, the book I mentioned, uh, Do the Work, Stephen Pressfield, so I'd be reading that again. And it was definitely kicking the butt. It was good for me. Something I would do well to reread. Probably most everyone to reread every few months, several months, just to be reminded of to do the work. work. Um, TV-wise, just catching up on the regular shows. Um, glad for the episode of My Hair Academia today. Nothing too exciting there. Gaming-wise, Animal Crossing. Mm-hmm. And then more Plenty Animal Crossing. After that, a little bit more Animal Crossing. And I think after this episode, I'll probably go and play some more Animal Crossing. <laughs> Shouldn't be surprised. Yeah, it actually is uh, to be more serious tapering off for me in a good way. That I've hit my big goals: max size house, uh, full size village. KK slider comes by. I'm taking it much lower now in terms of just enjoying it, not worrying about doing everything I possibly could each day, just relaxing into it more than I did before. So that's been a nice slowdown. That's good. I think that's a, that's a good healthy direction for it to take. I do yeah. wonder over, as just like watching uh, Heather play, I, I have wondered, the game's real early still, and I don't know how much of this happened in past games, but like I know those at um, the egg event, so I wonder for people who are sort of hitting an end game status. The egg event. Uh, well, like maybe maybe other events will be better. Will people yeah. enjoy whatever they do for Halloween if they do something? Uh, will there be um, updates or DLC that they add, uh, you know, later that that will kind of um, reinvigorate people's um, attention towards it who have dropped off? Um, yeah. So that'll be interesting to watch over the next year or so. How much the ridiculous surge of uh, release time attention that it has gotten, like yeah, what that looks like over. Um, over the next few months or the next year or two will be really interesting to watch. Oh yeah. I've been thinking about what would a urban animal crossing look like? 
Ooh. Be a big, good little game for indie devs to seek out if you had Animal Crossing, but just for one city block. Wow, Multi-use buildings, whatnot. What would that look like? Because that's a really yeah, unexplored I want to find out now. That sounds yeah. really interesting. Yeah. I, I wonder, there's a lot of like um, tower management games on uh, like a lot of tower management mobile games that I bet you could get some inspiration from as far as like opening up shops and um, you know getting like a little ecosystem going kind of thing yeah that, yeah that would be really interesting making like a garden up on the roof um, or like decorating the the, the stoops stuff like that There's a lot of directions you could take that oh yeah um I'll, I'll move on to, to my, my last week of media, which has been uh, the family finished up Lock and Key, which I mentioned uh, we were going to be finishing up uh, last week. Um, I'm going to be reading the Lock and Key Volume 1 comic book. I have no idea if it is lined up with the first season of the show or, or what, because it's a long-running comic book series, and I don't know what they pulled from it to make the show, so I don't know what I'll be in for. Um I'm still reading The Last Emperor X, and I expect to finish that in a couple of days, because once I got into it, I, I read it very quickly, because I just love Scalzi's writing. And mm. I know that that's kind of cliche for a geek to, to be a huge John Scalzi fan, but his writing just pulls me in. It's just it's, it's just flows. It's really easy to read, basically. It's just it's hard to put down. Um, I didn't finish uh, Spell Sword before that, because I, I, I just didn't want to wait for The Last Emperor X, so I'll probably... Um, read more of that this week whenever I finish the Emperor X uh, trilogy. So, looking forward to getting back to that after after this one. Um, I don't have any shows that I'm watching right now because Ooh. like everything is is off season. Supernatural still can't get finished because the production company is on lockdown. Understandably. Um, well, we've been watching a little bit. There has been um, Zoe's Infinite Playlist, or yeah, Zoe's Infinite Playlist has been an interesting show. Uh, it's new, a new thing that we were watching. Um, and I watched, um, I watched, what was it? Uh, Missing Link. Uh, the family watched that last night. Um, and I was really surprised that I was so disappointed. Um, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't interesting. Oh. Um, and the director was. Uh, somebody who worked on Corpse Bride, Caroline, Paranorman, and Cuba the Two Strings. Uh, and the same for the production company was behind many of those. I really expected more. I loved every single one of those, and they, they've been great. But this just it just didn't capture much interest. Yeah. Um, well made, but not engaging. So that was that was a bit of a letdown. I love uh, I love stop animation. Um, used to do that with my dad as a as a hobby. Just, I've always loved the art the art form, so I I really like how much they can put into. Like, it was impressive, te- like um, technique wise. Um, just didn't really translate to a, a engaging time though. So yeah, too that's bad. disappointing. Um, Game wise, uh, I've still been back to playing overwatch every once in a while not not like every night religiously like i used to but um been, been playing some um still playing final fantasy now kaylin is actually ahead of me so i won't get some spoilers <laughs> so now i'm i'm playing uh to catch up with him and it's also then interesting because he's far enough in that i'm seeing just how much different it is from the original but not in bad ways like they've really expanded a lot of the early game um which now i know why it does not include the whole thing is because they added a lot of material which is interesting 
It's like a lot of stuff that would have been optional side quests are now core. Aren't now aren't they? Um, stuff that wasn't even in the original, just like expanding out the the story and the characters, the character building a lot. Nice. Um, you spend way way more time with uh, Tifa and Aerith early game, just throwing things around Midgar and uh, stretching out the, the the plot points that are pulled from the original game um, come a lot slower than I thought, and there's a lot more in between those things that are pulled, so and none of it in bad ways, you know, they're really I, I see it as we have the, the resources and they have the capability to tell more story, and that's what they're doing and they, you know, they did say from the beginning they were not remastering, they wanted to make a new game that was Final Fantasy 7 yeah. which is what they've done and it's all like what you're shooting for I guess like, that's a good lesson for listeners now don't pull a Duke Nukem. Don't pull a Dai Katana. Do Final Fantasy VII what they did what they could with PlayStation hardware at the time and waited to remake it to fulfill their grander vision when that was practical. And it's still barely practical. It's still two yeah. Blu-rays worth of content yeah. and not even the whole game. So, Jeez. Yeah. And ridiculous. Even then, it's one reason people love a loving Final Fantasy VII remake is because they remember the other game that came out some time ago and if you want people to have 1997 yeah wow yeah if you want people to have nostalgia for your more advanced game they need an earlier game to get excited about like even like Deltarune everyone's excited for Deltarune because Undertale already came out yeah yeah I haven't gotten into Deltarune yeah, I haven't finished under. Wait, is that out yet? Actually, oh no, it's not yet. Okay. Yeah, but I didn't think it was. But you said it. It's just the way I heard. Um, I'm sure that my son's gonna go crazy when that comes out. He is obsessed <laughs> with uh, with Undertale. So he he went as um, Sans for Halloween last year. Oh my gosh, his last Halloween because he's turning 14 now. But um, yeah, yeah that, that'll uh, that'll be an issue. He, whenever he gets really obsessed with the game. We just hear about it all the time. Nice. So I know when Delta Room comes out, there will be nothing I will not know about it. <laughs> Regardless of whether or not I pick it up or when I do. Okay, that's pretty adorable. Yeah. But we're getting we're going on a link yeah. now. Gotta let the show up. So one thing I can't forget, I have to have the musical intro. So I almost forgot this time, but not quite. There's no escape from my incredible lyrical time. Here on side quest. Side quest, side quest completed. You can cut that out and move it to the beginning of the show. You know, I actually, I put those at the end. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Oh, well, that made it easier. Yeah. Thanks you're welcome, for Calvin. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, good luck on the, the work you do over the next week, and good luck yeah. with just you know. Being safe and being sane, and uh, I'll talk to you next week. Yeah, Stay here. Looking forward to it. Catch y'all later. Thank you for listening to the Side Quest Completed podcast. If you weren't subscribed, find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or at our website, sidequestcompleted.com, where you can find all our episodes and an invite link to our new Discord server.